Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. All right, let's go right to the phones. Joining us, um, he's with Tightline Outdoors. Uh, Nate's not here today. He's out running their tournament at 11 Mile, but joining us is Matt Ensley. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Terry. First of all, I want to thank you for your seminar at the International Sportsman's Exposition. We kind of got to all the speakers. Karen and I run the speaking group at the tank, the demo tank, and we said, let's Let's, you know, we so often as professional anglers, we seem to give presentations to each other, if you know what I mean, Matt, where we're trying to get a little advanced, give those little tips. And I think we really tried to make a point of getting back to fundamentals and basics of fishing and with advanced tips in there at the tank. And I think you did one on floats and bobbers. And if people would use those more, I know that's not today's topic, but if people would use even people who think they're advanced anglers, they would increase their catch so much, Matt. Absolutely. The very first technique I ever experienced in fishing was a little red and white float. There's you know, air inside, and it floats and suspends the bait. You cast it out there, and you wait for the fish to bite it. And any time you hang the lure in front of the fish, and it's sitting there stationary or slightly moving if it's bait, it attracts a, a school, particularly in panfish, to the presentation. Oh, it, it keeps that bait right in the strike zone. It's it's easy to make the presentation. Just the undulation of the water will give it enough movement. And it, you're right. I think most of us started with, <clears throat> excuse me, with a little red and white bobber and probably a push button reel and uh, and we all we all started doing that that's how we got our start you know and it's just a tremendous but today i think you want to talk about jigging for walleyes is that right yes uh there are a lot of jigging techniques and we're in our ice season right now uh soon to be open water <laughs> by the looks of it most of our uh, lakes in the mountains are uh, locked up pretty good you mentioned uh, granby early it's finally locked up and ice in the mountains itself it's ranging from six inches to a foot and a half or two foot, depending on the body of water. Uh, so things are pretty pretty safe. 11 Mile, we've got our tournament going today, and uh, that seems to be going quite well. We've got a great turnout. So mountain lakes for the trout, um, lakers, uh, whatever species, pike. Um, if someone catches a pike today at 11 Mile, it'll probably win the tournament. Uh, those are all going great right now. It was a slow start, as we all know. And our front-range lakes, uh, people need to be careful. We do have ice, fishable ice, on most bodies of water. But it is uh, very, very difficult uh, to kind of figure out the thickness. It ranges anywhere from 2 inches to 5 inches, depending on the body of water and depending on the sheet of ice. So you do have to be careful and pick your location on these front-range lakes right now. Well, you're absolutely right. And with the snow that's coming, it's going to be a little more difficult. I never say there's such a thing as safe ice, but I always say that ice fishing can be one of the safest winter activities they are if you use common sense. Um, you get out there, you know, and one of the things, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you want to get to your presentation techniques, but one of the advantages, disadvantage, with the trouble 
getting on the ice with it being frozen in areas and then they're not accessible and then they are. Well, a couple things happen. One, the fish aren't as constantly pressured as they would be if we had solid ice where there's been no changes. The other thing is we're getting water flowing into the lakes, keeping the oxygen levels higher than they might normally be if they were locked up, which makes for active fish. Are you seeing those, uh, that, that un- unravel? It's, or that's, is that what you're seeing out there? Right. Those lakes that people are able to get out on, Cherry Creek is one of our number one uh, ice lakes right here at Chatfield, also those in Front Range in the city area. And, um, you know, there's been a a 30-inch wall I just recently caught out there jigging in uh, uh, ridges going into the main basin. And uh, so, yeah, there are some locations and ice sheets that you can get on and get to the fish. And uh, those fish have not seen a bait this this winter yet. It's just now gotten to the point people are able to get on it. So tell us about some of the techniques you like to use. Well, with ice fishing, it's a vertical presentation, and the vertical presentation lends itself to jigging, particularly for walleye or the larger species. And before I talk about the baits themselves, I want to talk about location in the ice fishing. It, it's all about location in any kind of fishing, whether it's open water or ice fishing. You have to be in the right location to present uh, any presentation to have success. And in the winter months, the location on most of the bodies of water are relating to the main basin area. The reason for that is the fish are in the main basin and relating to the edges of the main basin. It could be a point. It could be a hump or it could be a ridge of a creek channel or some ridge of a flat dropping into the main basin. Those are the areas you want to look for when you're trying to figure out the location. In ice fishing, sometimes you could just look at the lake, and if there's enough people out there, they'll they'll tell you where the locations are. You just see the people. That they're on fish in most cases. They've caught fish here in the past, and they go back to the same locations in the, in the winter months. But uh, not every point and not every hump and not every ridge holds the fish. You want to look for those structures attached or relating to the main basin area, the deepest water. And the reason for that is the basis of the food chain, which is zooplankton and photoplankton, move to the main basin. Those are microscopic plant life the photoplankton is, and the zooplankton are microscopic animals that feed on the the photoplankton, and the the whole food chain migrates to that plankton wherever it is in the body of water, and it's always in the basin area. So look for those edges, the points. There are super points, and there are regular points, and there are super humps and super ridges. And what do I mean by super humps, super ridges, and super points? I mean stair-step level drops into the main basin. If it's just a sheer ledge, it's going to hold less fish than a ledge that stair steps into the main basin. So look for those on your topo map or during open water if you uh, have electronics on your boat. Uh, mark those locations and come back to them in the winter. Uh, the presentations, jigging presentations, I like to start aggressive. And we've all talked in, in previous shows about jigging wraps, blade baits, and spoons, and those are your three basic techniques to jig for walleye or any larger predator in the body of water, no matter what body of water you're fishing in. And jigging wraps, I start with number one, it's the most aggressive presentation. It's a hunk of lead, it's moving quickly, and if they're aggressive, they'll hit it. 
if I'm not having success with a jigging wrap, I'll drop down to a blade. It's a little less subtle, but still in their face and on top of them quickly. And if that's not working, then I, I back off to a spoon. And uh, we had Gary Parsons on uh, uh, social media the other day, and they, one of the uh, viewers asked that very question, what would your number one bait be for walleye jigging? And his uh, response was a Sidewinder gold spoon. And I haven't used a Sidewinder in 20 years, but I can tell you, I found mine, and I'm going to be using them this winter. Well, I can tell you, I do a lot. In fact, I wrote the uh, the sections for in fish in the '90s in fishermen's critical concept books on walleye fishing. I actually wrote the chapters on jigging spoons, and oh, and great. and uh, it's always been something one of my favorite presentations. And and more recently, you know, the the, the jigging wrap had been just a winter bait. But a few pros have been scoring real high in the tournament trails all year long with them, and that has leaked out over the last five to ten years. And and they've become a mainstay both ice and open water. And of course, the blade bait seems to start out. It, it went back to the '60s with the the Sonic Heading, I believe it was, and they kind of went. They came up, then they faded. Then somebody else came out. The Cicada came out, and they they faded. And and but they're a tremendous. Uh, they're, all three of those are tremendous year-round presentations. And what they do is they give you the ability to get a reaction strike at a time when you can't horizontally move the bait by the fish like you would in the summertime. And they're just tremendous. Uh, even when the fish are negative, sometimes they're the best way to go. Absolutely. In open water, I will use my electronics and actually mark the fish. You'll see them on your electronics. And with that jig and wrap, use the numbers uh I believe it is, drop it right on their head. Watch it in, in the uh, cone of your transducer go down. You'll see it on the electronics and hit them on the head and jig it. And you can literally watch the fish on your electronics take the bait. It's pretty neat. Yeah, I do that through the ice too. And it's just, it's just incredible what you can do. And you mentioned the order of their um, activity or their aggressiveness. And, uh, you know, the jigging wrap, uh, does create quite a commotion or and there's the johnny darter and there's a whole class of lures now made by people blade baits have quite a bit of vibration a spoon you can jig it very aggressively and get a good vibration as you aggressively lift it and get a long fluttering drop or you can almost barely move it and if you're using a reflective metal spoon of some kind it'll blend in and almost become so subtle that it becomes almost a finesse presentation Absolutely. If you have an underwater camera, you can literally watch a walleye swim up to the spoon, hanging it straight down. It's never motionless. It's twisting, it's turning slightly, it's moving. And if you tip it with a minnow head, you know, the pieces of the skin of the, the minnow itself are just undulating in the water. And a walleye will swim up to it, flare, you'll see it flare the gill and just suck that hook with the minnow head in and you got them. Oh, and it's just a tremendous. Another thing I do through the ice, I don't do it a lot in open water, but through the ice, I'll drill two holes, maybe two, three feet apart, and I'll put the um, the spoon or the jigging wrap in one hole, but in the other hole, I may put just a jig and a minnow or a more subtle, um, almost dead stick presentation, maybe just some bait on a hook with some weight, and a lot of times, uh, if I just had that bait down there, fish would never find it. But that aggressive presentation will draw them in, and sometimes they won't hit it, but they see the other bait, and you'll and you'll draw them in, and you'll catch them on the the bait because you drew them in with the spoon. 
That's right. The number of times I've sat there jigging and watching my electronics, and all of a sudden the dead stick rod with the minnow takes off, and you're hooked up and you're on. Oh, you're absolutely right. I've seen I've seen people out on the ice. They have a dead stick rod and a spoon, and they're working the spoon, and they catch a fish on the dead stick rod, and they're working the spoon, and they catch a fish. Well, pretty soon they have two dead stick rods down, and they're not catching any fish. They think, <laughs> right. well, they're hitting this one. We did. I'll, I'll, I'll share this with you. Karen and I used the camera, and we were testing some spoons on a dowdy, which is full of stock trout, right? We just wanted to put the underwater camera down and do some filming of it. And we... um. Put the camera down, and and I had a. Um, we both had jigs on. We neither one of us had a spoon, and you could see trout uh, swimming by occasionally and in the distance. And every now and one would come over and eat the jig. And so I switched my presentation to a spoon. The trout would not eat the spoon, but there must have been twenty trout on the camera that just hung around watching that spoon. And every time Karen put her jig down, she caught a fish. And then we took the spoon out, put two jigs down, caught two or three of them, and they dispersed again. Put the spoon back down, and they came back, and she started catching them again. It's phenomenal. They're curious, and they come to the action and the sound that's being created by the jigging. So to your viewers and listeners, uh, don't stop jigging. If you're catching them on the dead stick next to you, keep that jigging action going. Yeah, we got about a minute or two left. Uh, if somebody, you know, supposed to get a little nasty tomorrow, but after the storm goes through, where might you head out next week to catch a few fish? Well, if you're targeting walleye, uh, Cherry Creek has got some safe ice, although you want to be careful and you want to use a, a spud bar to check the, the, the ice because it is varying from, you know, three inches to, to five inches depending on the sheet of ice you're on. Uh, Aurora's uh, got ice in the backs of coves, but the main lake is all open water right now, so that's a tough one unless you want to fish off the bank in the open water, and there are fish coming off the bank at Aurora using various techniques that we just talked about, casting jigging ramps, casting blade baits, things of that nature. Um, uh, Chatfield has some, some safe ice also, but again, be very careful on these metro lakes. Uh, North Sterling has uh, a good ice cap. Jefferson, uh, up north uh, of town. Um, I'm hearing some good reports from uh, both of those lakes uh, through the ice. So those are some of them. Boyd has some ice that's uh, that's fishable. But, again, you've got to be very careful. And if you don't see other people on the ice, uh, I'd be very leery of uh, venturing out without uh, a spud bar and some way to check it as you go. All right. And if they want to book a trip with you guys, just tightlineoutdoors.com? That's right, or you can call us at 720-775-7770. All right, Matt, thank you, and thank you again for your presentations at ISE. Thank you, sir. You bet. Matt Ensley from Tightline Outdoors. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. I can see you over there staring at your drink, watching that ice sink all alone. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company. The secret is in the fire. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Granby area, one of our favorite contributors, Bernie Keefe. Bernie, I understand you're fishing on Lake Granby finally. You know, it is an awesome thing to be able to say that. <laughs> it's been a, <laughs> an unusual year everywhere, hasn't it? 
it's just been warm, you know. I mean, and even now the the ice on Granby, some of the backs of the coves are there's a lot of water on top of the ice, and that's from the stuff running off. Oh, you're absolutely right. Um, so well, I guess let's start with the conditions. How you feel about you know people getting out there? What they need to look for? What's going on ice condition wise? Well, ice condition wise, everywhere I've been, I have seen. Oh, I'm going to say three to six inches this week. Um, and it's just getting thicker as time goes on. Now, a place you got to be really care- careful about is out in front of the pump house and up in uh, the mouth of Columbine Bay. Those are the last two places to freeze. And um, anywhere you see any water on the ice, of course. But everything else I've been fishing, I've, I've not went across the middle of the lake. I, I, I guess people did today. Um, but I've been I've been pulling into the backs of the bays and coming out of the bays just to make sure I don't get wet and lose the machine. Oh, you're you're absolutely right. You know, Granby's a large like you know, and and I'm gonna say you know I always say there's no such thing as safe ice, but ice fishing can be extremely safe if you use common sense. Now, the problem uh, that I always uh, tell people to watch out for when our conditions are like this. You're on that lake, Bernie. You're, you've gone out, you've checked that ice, you move ahead, you check the ice, you start becoming aware of where it's thick enough and where it's getting thicker. Somebody else comes out on a snowmobile or an ATV that hasn't checked the ice. We get a little snow on top, and they run without checking it, and that's when you get in trouble. And That's exactly right. And, you know, I preach it. We, we did a video last, I think, last week where we were standing on three inches of ice fish and Dan wanted to move over a little bit. He stuck the spud bar through in one hit. I mean, that's one step away from being wet. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's you just got to, this, with the conditions we've had this year, and tell some people are out there, we know some ice has established itself. You've just got to be incredibly careful. Now, that being said, you also told me the fishing has been phenomenal. Oh, Terry, it's been unbelievable. Um, the fish, when you see them, they're generally biting. We were, we've been out rainbow fishing. We've been out kokanee fishing. We've been out mac fishing, um, catching lots of fish, catching nice fish, catching some straight up big fish. Um, and it's just been whatever we've been doing has been working and it's been good. So this is the time to get out there. If you want to go catch some fish, this is the time you got to do it. You just got to be careful. Yeah. Well, you know, the fish normally in Granby go through about, well, I suppose they go through about four weeks where they're they're not molested at all. I mean, where you can't get a boat on, yet there isn't enough ice to ice fish. They probably had six to eight weeks of almost no pressure. They've been feeding. They've got fat and happy. I see this all the time when we have these conditions. Another thing is when it freezes late, you get a highly oxygenated water. The water at the lower temperatures is still pretty warm compared to the surface. And the fish are just active, Bernie. Exactly, exactly. They're active. And, you know, I like to always use the term of, I'm really good at the dumb fish, but not at the smart fish. This week we had a bunch of dumb fish out there. It made me feel pretty good. Yeah, well, I was just like, I used to have a little place that had these 10-inch perch in it. And every time I'd have a bad outing anywhere in the country, whether I was filming or fishing a tournament or whatever, I just would go there so I could tell myself I still got it. (laughs) (laughs) I know that feeling, brother. (laughs) So So you're catching both numbers and some size, huh? Yeah, yeah, we had a 38-incher this week, a 35, a couple 34s, a couple 30s, and I don't know, probably about 30, maybe even 40 
22 to 28 inches. Wow. Now, are you catching numbers in the same place you're catching big fish, or are you finding the big fish isolated? We're finding the really large fish isolated, but, like, when we get into them 22 to 28, uh, we also got a 34 in the middle of all that. Are you getting any of the more eater-sized fish, the 15 to 20 inchers? Uh, you know, um, I've struggled on them this week. And that's a good problem to have. People wanting to come out and catch some eaters, and um, where we we end up catching enough fish that we get lucky. And my rule is under 19 inches, so we get them, but we couldn't get limits every day with them. People might catch 20 or 30 fish, but had a hard time catching eight eaters. Well, 30 or 36 inch fish will make up for that. Well, you know, that's kind of when they were walking away going, well, we didn't get our limit. I, all I could do was laugh and go, you know, I wish I had that problem every week. Yeah. What about some of the <laughs> other lakes in the area? What are you hearing up there? Uh, Willow Creek is fishing fantastic for rainbows, and that's where we were at catching kokanee the other day. There's still some spawners in there, and they were in pretty good shape. They were red, but no no fungus, and had their whole, all their tails and fins on them. Shadow Mountain and the Spillway and the Pump Canal are fishing really good for rainbows. Uh, that's just phenomenal up there. Grand Lake is fishing pretty good for smaller macs and rainbows. That's awesome. Uh, Wolford's fishing really good for kokanee. A buddy sent me a picture out there. He said he caught 30 or 40 kokanee one morning out there. Um, it's also fishing good for rainbows. And Williams Fork fully capped over, and it's fishing good for smaller macs, okay for bigger macs, and real well for rainbows. Haven't heard nothing about the pike. Now, are you catching fish throughout the day? Is it more of a morning bite? What's happening there? It's been more of a morning bite. Um, my bite's been kind of getting a little tougher coming about 11.30 in the morning. Does it pick up uh, again in the afternoon, or are you home by then? I'm home by then trying to get sitting on the couch to become just become a mummy dummy on tv <laughs> what kind of presentations are you work are working for you uh, a lot of jigs a lot of jigs the rainbows just smaller jigs and uh the lake trout two inch to four inch and berkeley having tubes have been really good so far this year everything's been liking to eat them um a little little paddle tail minnows have been doing good um, let me think about this. Bait on jig hooks have been doing good. We tried some, just a jig head with some sucker meat on it yesterday, and it worked pretty well. So just, you know, a, a variety of things are working. I, I get the feeling it doesn't matter what you use, as long as you're careful with it and pay attention to what it's supposed to look like in the water. Now, when you're fishing, Bernie, you and I have had this discussion before. we got about a minute or two left. Um, as far as line, you know, everybody has their preference for fishing line open water and through the ice. What line, how important is whether you have mono or fluorocarbon or braid, and what do you use? Well, I like fluorocarbon for lake trout, especially through the ice, and here's why. It is less stretchy than mono. With fire line, when any, any of the super lines are abrasive enough, when a big fish runs, it'll cut through the ice. The line will cut through, and then bring back, if you got a leader on your line, that leader knot will stop. And then you got to work that through the cut to get plain on the fish again. That costs you a fish. Uh, so, and that and the freezeability of the super lines, I really don't care for how much they saturate in the water. So I'm a mono. I'm a fluorocarbon guy. Fluorocarbon for lake trout, mono for rainbows. Clear or colored? Clear. 
Everything for me is always clear. And I think you've always been a big proponent of the visibility of the line for those lake trout, especially the big ones. Big time. If the fish can see your line, why would he want to eat the lure? Now, Bernie, if people want to schedule a a trip with you, how do they get a hold of you? Um, Facebook Fishing with Bernie, or you can give me a call at 970-531-2318 or my website, fishingwithbernie.com. My friend, thank you for the update. I'm glad you're out on the ice. It's one of my favorite ice fishing destinations in the state, and hope people get up there and take advantage of it and go, get with Fishing with Bernie and uh, and uh, have some great trips and learn about it. Thank you, Bernie. Hey, thanks, Terry. You guys be safe. You bet. Bernie Keith. By the way, on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, we have two or three um, episodes. Uh, videos with bernie and at least two of them are ice fishing up there it's a phenomenal phenomenal bite terry wickstrom outdoors is brought to you in part by honey smoked fish company smoked salmon the secret is in the fire terry wickstrom outdoors is brought to you in part by honey smoked fish Company's smoked salmon the secret is in the fire we are going to go right to the phones, and joining us, as he does every other week, Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Terry. How you doing this morning? You know, I'm doing great. Ronnie, I had you call in early this week because you did a seminar at the International Sportsman's Exposition this last week that, I, that really intrigued me, and I thought it's something we should share with the people who, uh, who didn't get to the show. And I just, you did a seminar about... One rod, one reel, and ten lures. And I think the premise of the seminar was that you don't necessarily have to have a truck full of equipment to go out and be successful. And, in fact, sometimes it can almost be a detriment. Is that Am I hit, hitting it there? Pretty much, Terry. I mean, there was, there's a whole bunch of different reasons why, why when I was thinking about what seminar I was going to do, I came up with that one. And certainly, you know, what you just mentioned was, was part of it. Another thought was, you know, saving people money in the long run as far as, let's say, a new angler, somebody that's just getting into fishing is, is walking into the tackle shop and is overwhelmed by all the different lures and presentations that they have there. Uh, you know, narrowing that down to 10 presentations that they can kind of focus on and become proficient with, and then they can kind of expand from there. I think in the long run, that's going to make them a better angler faster. The other thought was, you know, maybe somebody was going out and they were they were buying a, a gift package for like a young kid, a youngster who's just getting excited about fishing. Uh, this was kind of an idea, you know, as far as giving them some guidelines that they could go out, they could focus on, you know, one particular kind of rod, one particular kind of reel, and, and the 10 lures that they can utilize. So, you know, there were a lot of different reasons that I thought about this presentation, Terry, and it, it seemed like it went over pretty good at the ISE. Oh, it really did. And, you know, I can think of some other reasons, too. Maybe you travel whether it's in your car or you know even by plane if you ha- if you can make a compact tackle selection you can take it with you on trips uh, sometimes you're walking around the shore of a lake or pond and you want to have a few uh, variety of presentations with you but you don't want to lug a big tackle box and i agree with you 100% that sometimes trying to get 
have too much that you're not good at is worse than just having a few things you do really well. Now, I will admit, I, I didn't get to listen to the whole presentation because I get busy up at the front of the tank. So I don't know. We talked. Yeah, well, we, we talked about it afterwards, though. And somebody else may pick a different 10. We did this with flies one time where every fly fisherman had to give us their top six flies. But why don't you first take us through, uh, and I assume you're aiming at the typical Colorado fisherman. Start with the rod and reel. What did you select and, and why? Sure, Terry. So I started off with the rod, and I was kind of, you know, thinking about, okay, I have, you know, I probably have 100 rods in the garage, Terry. I, I hate to admit it, but there's probably, you know, 40 of those rods that are in serious rotation with me year in, year out, as far as which rods may be going out on a guide trip or which rods are going out with me personally. And as I was thinking about that, I was, you know, trying to think of which one is the most versatile and which one is actually the, you know, the size rod strength and power uh, that I have the most of, Terry. And, you know, out of those 40 rods that are in regular rotation, there's probably a dozen seven-foot medium-power fast-action rods that I have out there. And usually on any given guide trip, I have at least 10 of those rods in the rod locker. And the reason why I have so many of that particular size, you know, length, power, and action, Terry, is because it that particular one seems like it's the most universal, in, in my opinion. It covers the widest variety of presentations that we're going to use on any given day, and it's a real easy rod uh, for my that tends to be the one. It's a, it's a spinning rod, a seven foot medium power fast action rod, Terry. And then the next thing I, I, I talked about, Terry, was you know what kind of reel I was going to put on that rod. Um, you know, the reel that I came up with was the the twenty five hundred size. Pin Fierce 2 reel, Terry. Uh, I've talked about those pin reels in the past on the show with you, and I am definitely a big fan of the pin reels. That 2,500 size seems to be just about the perfect size. Um, you can go bigger than that, and certainly, you know, bigger guys, guys that have real big hands may like a 3,000 size. But the most common one that I, you know, utilize on the boat these days, Terry, is that 2,500. And it's just because it can do the most things as far as the different presentations. It's not too big, not too small. And we can kind of, you know, cover the gambit as far as what we're doing with that reel, Terry. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm almost exactly in line with you. I might tweak it a little, and we'll find differences. I like a six-and-a-half-foot because I'm going to fish from the bank as much as a boat. Now, the seven-foot gives you a little more casting distance. And and uh, the six and a half may age your accuracy. I just find a lot of people. Uh, that's my personal preference. But I think anywhere from that six to seven foot, and maybe even seven two spinning rod is going to be perfect. I agree with you on the twenty five size reel. Um, I like a lighter reel. It's less fatiguing. You have better feel. And uh, the pan reel that you chose happens to give you an incredible drag. I use a lot of Fluger reels and a lot of Abu Garcia reels also. But that pen reel, which I have a number of myself, it has a better, a more sophisticated and a, and a larger drag washer than a typical freshwater spinning reel so that it covers a wider range of situations like for bigger fish. Yeah, they're definitely built for saltwater applications, but there's no reason you can't use them in freshwater, Terry. And like you're mentioning, the reel, the, the drag on those are excellent. The other big, you know, feature on that reel that I'm a huge fan of is they have an oversized power handle on that spinning reel, Terry. And that's primarily so that, you know, when you are fishing in saltwater and you get those really, really hard strikes like saltwater fish like to do in those long runs and those redfish just absolutely scream and drag, that sort of a thing, that handle, that big oversized power handle doesn't slip out 
of your hand as easily. So, you know, it makes it real, real easy, real, real comfortable to utilize, and it just gives you more power in the long run. And over the day of utilizing a reel like that, if you have an oversized power handle on it, it just makes fishing that reel easier throughout the day. It's less fatiguing. So that's another key feature about that reel. That's one of the reasons I'm a big fan of that reel. And the other thing that really got everybody's attention when I started talking about that Penn Sears 2 spinning reel, Terry, was that they retail for $59.95. So they are not an expensive reel. You know, I'm a big proponent of I'd rather buy three of those than $180 spinning reel. Casting reel is a little different deal, Terry. I, you know, I like to spend the money on the casting reel but with spinning reels uh give me three rather than one is kind of my theory on that terry well and you know i'm going to agree with you on the you don't need to overspend to get a good a good spinning reel um used to like you said that one's in that 60 dollar range the fluger one isn't about the 60 dollar range the reels will last you years and years uh one thing i will make sure when i do buy the rod you're going to put that on i might spend a little bit more in the rod i don't want one of those big cheapy fiberglass rods that's too wimpy and that it weighs a lot. I want a real light rod that feels light in my hand but still has some backbone. Sure, Terry. And the rod I did a demo with was an Abu Garcia spinning rod, and I'm a big fan of those Abu Garcia line of spinning rods, Terry. They come in at a really good price point, and they have a wide selection of different models and different sizes and powers to choose from. So you can get into a good Abu Garcia rod for, you know, right around $50 and maybe all the way up to the $300 range, but, you know, the ones that I tend to use the most fall right around that $99 range, somewhere in there. So, uh, you know, the Abu Garcia rods, they've done a really good job of, of innovation and changing their models throughout the years and coming up with new rods at an excellent price point. So I'm, I'm a big fan of those rods, Terry. Now, the other thing that, that I want to mention when we're talking about the rods and real Terry is that I, I also talked about what kind of line I was going to be putting on that particular setup. And the deal was, is I wanted a, you know, a, a line, a style line that would cover, you know, the, all of the applications and, and presentations I was going to talk about and one that would just give you the most versatility, you know, that you could get out there and utilize for everything that you might get out there and do. I suggested putting a super line of some sort on that spinning reel, Terry. So, you know, a braid or an extruded line or possibly, you know, the hybrid of the two, like that uh, Fireline Ultra 8 that just came out this last year where they've kind of, you know, merged those two styles, super lines together. Something along those lines is what I would opt to put on that spinning reel. And I suggested somewhere in that 14 to 15 pound test range as being the most versatile as far as, you know, what pound test line I might put on a spinning reel. In that size range, it tends to be that those lines still have a very, very thin diameter. Most of them are right around three pound test mono equivalent diameter when you're looking at a 14, 15 pound braid or super line. And that will allow you to cast lures that maybe are as light as 1 16th. So real small jigs you can still make a good cast with. And, you know, depending on what rod you're putting it on, that medium power rod that we were talking about, that thing will handle, you know, lures that are in that, as heavy as about five eighths, Terry, so maybe up over half an ounce. And it just so happened that all those lures that I was going to present that day at the tank, they all were, you know, the heaviest one was a half an ounce, Terry. So they all kind of fell into that range right there. And the beauty of putting braid on it, Terry, is one, you know, like I mentioned, it's super thin, so you're going to be able to cast it real easy. They have a real strong strength to diameter ratio. They're usually pretty abrasion resistant, so you can work them in and around trees and things like that. And then the thing that I would change on any given day, Terry, is a lot of times I am tying a leader to that braid, 
And I would just dial that leader in to match whatever presentation I'm going with, Terry. So if I'm utilizing a real finesse jig and we're in real clear water, then maybe I put a three-foot, six-pound test fluorocarbon leader on there. If I'm in dirtier water and I'm using something like a lipless crankbait that, you know, is a little bit heavier bait and I need a little bit more power, then I'd probably go to something like a 15-pound fluorocarbon leader. Uh, you know, if I'm working a popper on that set of Terry, then maybe I go with a 10 or a 12 pound mono as my leader. So you can kind of dial it in, but the main line is very, very versatile, Terry. You can do a lot of things with it. Ronnie, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, I want to quickly go through your 10 presentations. I'll put you on hold, okay? Sounds like a fun, Terry. You bet. Ronnie Castelloni will be back with him in just a minute. Before we go to this break, I want to tell you really quick about Honey Smoked Fish Company, Smoked Salmon. I got a secret for you. Big game's coming up, right? Got the the championship game tomorrow, the Super Bowl in a couple weeks. Go buy a couple different flavors of honey smoked salmon from your favorite supermarket, a box of crackers. Take it to the big game, whoever's house you're going to, or set it out at yours next to all the other snacks. I'll guarantee you the first one that goes is the Honey Smoked Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. Not only will it be the first to go, people will rave about it. They'll ask you where you got it, and you will be the hero of the party. Honey Smoke Fish Company, Smoke Salmon, The Secrets in the Fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company, Smoke Salmon. If you haven't tried it, get out there and try some. Sure, he had to play this when Ronnie doesn't have that much time left. Now we're going to miss him. It's a great song. I guess we better get back to the phones. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. And, Ronnie, you were almost upstaged by the Eagles there. But before we get back to you, um, you've gone over. We've got a 7-foot spinning, medium action, fast tip spinning rod. We've got the um, Penn 2500 series reel. We've got 14-pound fire line on it, possibly a mono or fluorocarbon leader. We've got about, eight, we got about five minutes. Tell us the 10 presentations. Excellent, Terry. Let's go through them real fast. I kind of broke them up into two different categories, Terry. So first, we're going to be the hard baits that I were ta- that I was talking about at the expo. Uh, the hard baits that I did demos on. The first one was a square bill crankbait. Uh, that's the kind of bait I like to utilize if I'm fishing in the top five or six feet of the water column. I'm definitely going to use that on riprap dams or anywhere that I can grind it across some gravel or grind it shallow across main lake points or throw it up around trees, things like that. Next, I utilized was the deep diving crankbait. Going to work it very similar to the shallow driving uh, square bill, but that deep diver is going to cover more of that six all the way down to that 15-foot range. Going to throw it in a lot of the same spots, Terry. I like to throw it on dams, like to throw it on points, like to grind humps with it, things like that. Uh, that's an excellent choice for getting a little bit deeper and covering a lot of water. Uh, the next hard bait that I went over was the lipless crankbait, Terry. That's a presentation that you can kind of steer, you know, completely through the water column. You can work that thing as shallow as you want to or as deep as you want to. It just depends on how you, long you, you let that bait sink in the water. Um, and we talked about reeling it along just like a crankbait. And we also talked about yo-yoing that lipless crankbait, ripping it up and letting it fall, ripping it up and letting it fall. Excellent way to target those large mouth or those small mouth early in the year or the walleyes when the water temperature is cold, Terry. That, that technique is deadly. Uh, the next thing that we covered was a medium diving jerkbait. Uh, suspending jerkbait, I, I threw a cutter 90 that day, Terry. That, that, 
the original cutter 90 dives down to about six, seven feet on a very long cast. But you can also work that bait pretty shallow up in the top two feet of the water column if you don't reel it down and you make shorter casts with it. Uh, jerk baits are always excellent baits early and late in the year when the water temperature is cold. A lot of times it's about snapping them and giving them real long paws. During the summer, we catch a lot of fish on jerk baits, snapping them really hard and not giving them hardly any paws. Cover a lot of water with that presentation, Terry. Uh, the next hard bait that I covered was a surface popper, Terry. I wanted to cover the, you know, the very top of the water column. The most universal top, top of the water bait that I could come up with was like a two and a half to three inch surface popper because I think you can work those baits really, really slow and just pop them and let them sit. You can also walk a good number of those surface baits and work them really, really fast over the water. And a lot of times that will trigger strikes. And you can also throw a popper in and around grass and things like that as long as you're really, really accurate with what you're doing as far as your casting goes. The next kind of hard bait that I covered, Terry, was going to be just the old school spoon, Terry. A spoon is very, very versatile, in my opinion. You can work for that, you know, anywhere you want to through the water column. So you can catch fish deep catch this shallow. You can just reel that thing along. You control that thing behind the boat. You can yo-yo that thing like we were talking about with the lipless crank and rip it up and let it fall. You can work it vertically straight up and down, you know, under the boat or through the ice or anything like that. So a spoon will cover a lot of different situations for you, Terry. And the next one I covered real fast, Terry, was the spinnerbait. A standard old-school spinnerbait with a skirt on it, maybe a trailer, something like that. Spinnerbaits will catch a variety of fish in a variety of situations, but they're, and they're really, really shine, Terry. Let's say you're traveling or you're, you're going around and you're fishing some of the ponds that have a lot of trees and grass and, and wood down in them and that kind of thing. Spinnerbaits are excellent in those situations, Terry, because they're, they're relatively snagless. You can throw them in a lot of places, and you can definitely catch a variety of fish on those, Terry. So those were kind of the hard baits I talked about, Terry. And then the next stuff I covered was, was going to be the soft baits, Terry. Well, go ahead. Let's go right through them, and then we'll see if we have time Boom. for them. I'll blast right through them, Terry. So the, the soft baits that I covered in my presentation, the first one was going to be a minnow body soft plastic bait, Terry. Uh, something that's shaped like a little minnow. You know, the three-inch uh, gulp minnow is, is kind of a standard for us. Maybe a three- or four-inch power minnow, minnow also gets utilized a whole bunch, you know, on guide trips with me. Or that new Max Scent, uh, you know, flat nose minnow. That's an excellent bait. That's actually the one I demoed on the tank, Terry. You can put those on a jig. You can rig them a variety of different ways, so it's very, very versatile, and everything will bite them. The next thing I covered, Terry, was going to be a soft plastic grub. The grub is also very universal, Terry. You can swim it along, you can drag it, you can rip it up, let it fall, and just about everything that swims will bite a grub on one day or another, Terry, so a soft plastic grub is an excellent choice. The next soft soft bait that I covered, Terry, was going to be the soft plastic tube. Uh, a soft plastic tube can be rigged a variety of different ways. You can put it on a jig head. You can Texas rig it. You can drop shot it. And it's just been my experience that that particular presentation will catch just about everything that swims, and it can cover the gambit as far as, you know, daily situations and things like that that you might run into. So those were kind of all the baits I covered, Terry. Well, Ronnie, we got about less than a minute left but i think you ran through them in a hurry we gave people some great ideas and folks just to give you a heads up what i think i'm going to do is cover this in my denver post column in the next few weeks and try to get a little more depth and i think ronnie what we probably should do is we get closer to spring fishing maybe we should pick a couple of each of these baits now and then and get a little more depth on how you work them and why you chose them sounds like a plan yep and one last 30 seconds if after the snowstorm next week, where would you go fishing? 
you know, I'm hearing some good things about North Park and up in that area. Guys are catching fish, Terry, so that's a good choice. For me, you know, I'd be hunting open water, you know, even though it's this time of year and it's cold and it's icy. I'd be looking for the tailwaters coming out of some of these reservoirs and be looking for some open water action. That's kind of what I'm drawn towards this time of year, Terry. I'm starting to get the open water bug myself. Ronnie, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. All right, buddy. You have a good one. You bet. Ronnie Castellone. We could have spent... An hour. We could have spent an hour or two hours going over that topic. It's tremendous. We'll get more in-depth on some of those presentations so that you can start the spring out right and help you select your tackle. We're going to wrap the show up today. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. When I do write this column, there'll be a link to it on my Facebook page. You'll be able to go right to it follow everything I wrote and listen to the podcast. Every time we put up a new TV show on our YouTube channel, it goes and a link. If there's something special coming up on the radio show, contests, we a lot of the con- information to win the contests we're going to have are going to be on our Facebook page. you got to follow us. I want to thank Karen. I want to thank Kyle for keeping me online and on time. We're going to follow, and you follow us every Saturday from 9 to 11. There'll be sports coming up on 104.3 The Fan.